But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through, and that you will assist me on my journey there, after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Archaea were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So, after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will in your company and in your company be refreshed. The peace, the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Well, it is really great to be back here at Bishop Hannington and to be taking part in this service. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me back. Um, Ruth and I are looking forward to being around after the service, catching up with people, catching up on your news. It's going to be great. Uh, we're in no hurry to get away after the service. Uh, and I'm also really pleased to have the chance to look at another part of Paul's letter to the Romans with you this morning. Um, I actually preached the first sermon in this series way back when, uh, looking at Romans 1, verses 1 to 8. And, uh, well, sadly, all good things come to an end. And uh, next Sunday, Tim is going to be speaking on chapter 16 of Romans, uh, and that will be the end of the series. Uh, but I've really appreciated this series and really pleased to be looking at these final verses of chapter 15 uh, that Stuart read for us this morning. But uh, let's pray. Let's ask God to help us to understand them. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this epistle of Paul to the Romans. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that's in it, all that's there to inform us, all that's there to inspire us, all that's there to encourage us to follow you. And Heavenly Father, we pray that as we look at these closing words in many ways of this epistle, that Heavenly Father, you'll help us to take from those things which are going to help us in the life that we seek to live in this world and for you today. Amen. Amen. You'll remember that up to the end of chapter 11, Paul has been talking about all that God wants to do for those who put his trust in him. And then from uh, chapter 12 onwards, the focus changes from what God has done to how Christians should live as people who have been justified by faith and who have experienced God's forgiveness. And then from the middle of chapter 15, it gets more personal. Last week, Don was speaking about verses 14 to 22, where Paul speaks about um, how he sees his place in God's work. And now from verse 23, Paul moves from the general onto the specific. Frankly, how Paul sees the next couple of years or so. It's a bit like that question you sometimes get asked. I mean, I was asked this question quite a lot. What do you plan to do when you retire? 
Or perhaps at work, you come to the end of a project and and people say to you, well, what's next? And that's the question that Paul was answering. Uh, Paul had come to the stage where one phase of ministry had come to an end. He'd come, if you like, to the end of a project. Uh, As last Sunday's passage, Paul tells us that in verse 19, so from Jerusalem all the way round to Irelium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. But this work was coming to an end. You'll remember that right at the start of this morning's reading, Paul says, um, there's no more place for me to work in these regions. He'd done everything he could where he was. Probably very similar to the ministry he describes in Acts chapter 14. He'd preached the gospel. He'd encouraged churches. He'd been involved in appointing local leaders so that churches could go forward with local leadership and local guidance and local direction. And, and everything that needed to be done in these areas had been done, and it was time to move on. I guess that many of us have found ourselves, ourselves in that sort of situation. I mean, to be honest with you, it's where I found myself in 2009. Um, I'd been working for about 20 years with a Christian mission agency based in Worthing. Uh, And towards the end of 2008 and in the early part of 2009, I had this growing sense uh, and feeling that my time there was coming to an end, that there was no more work for me to do there, no more place for me to do there. And frankly, if I hadn't had that sense that it was time to move on, I guess Ruth and I wouldn't have had the last 10 years that we had here at Bishop Hannington. That's where Paul was at. It was time to move on. But Paul wasn't drifting around aimlessly, hoping that something would turn up. No, Paul had a plan. He'd already touched on something of his plans right at the start of the letter in chapter 1, when we spoke of his desire to visit Rome and spend time with the church there. But now he goes into much more detail about this in verses 24 and 25 that Stuart read for us. When I go to Spain, I hope to see you while passing through. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. That was his plan, to go to Jerusalem, then head for Spain via Rome. Why Jerusalem? Why Spain? Why Rome? These places weren't chosen at random. He just didn't put a pin in a map or something like that. Paul's planning was driven by some key watchwords. And the first of these is that Paul's plans were driven by obligations. He felt under an obligation to visit the church in Jerusalem. You remember that Paul explained that churches in Macedonia and Achaia had made a collection, a collection to support people who were struggling and suffering in the church in Jerusalem. They'd collected this money, and he believed that he needed to be personally involved in taking this gift to the church in Jerusalem. Now, you can read a lot more about this collection in Paul's two letters to the church in Corinth. And in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he writes about how the gift would be taken to Jerusalem. He told uh, the Corinthian Christians that he would write letters of introduction to the men who were going to take the gift to Jerusalem. And then he adds, if it seems advisable for me to go also, 
they will accompany me. Now, obviously, in the interval, Paul had decided that it was advisable for him to go to Jerusalem with the the Christians from Corinth to take the gift personally to the church there. Maybe he was concerned that Christians coming from a a non-Jewish Gentile background uh, might be treated with suspicion by the church in Jerusalem. And he wanted to be there in person to reassure them. Paul had been involved in this project right from the start, and yes, he felt an obligation to make sure that it finished well, that it finished properly. He felt an obligation, and that's why his plans involved Jerusalem. But as well as an obligation, Paul also built his plan around his priorities. Think back to the passage that Don was speaking about last Sunday. What was Paul saying in verse 16? Paul says, he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God. Or in verse 20, it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. Indeed, think of the last verse of last Sunday's passage. Why had Paul never managed to get to Rome before now? Verse 22 tells us, I've been hindered from coming to you because of the responsibility and the priority I place on sharing the good news with people who haven't heard it. He hadn't been able to visit Rome because there had been more pressing priorities elsewhere. He understood where he fitted into God's plan. He'd been called to preach the good news to people from non-Jewish backgrounds. That was his priority. And he'd identified a new area where there were still people who still needed to hear about Jesus. Spain, for people in the Roman Empire, the very much the edge of the world. Obligations, priorities. It all sounds a bit heavy, doesn't it? But there was a third factor influencing Paul's plans. His plans were also built around his preferences. You see... Paul had wanted to visit Rome for ages. In chapter 1, he tells the Roman Christians that he'd planned many times to come to that church. And at the start of this morning's reading, Paul underlines this by saying, I have been longing for years to visit you. And that's not surprising. Go back to chapter 1, we discover that Paul had been hearing good things about the church in Rome. In verse 8, he says that the Roman church's faith is being reported all over the world. In the next couple of verses, again, he tells the the Roman Christians that he'd been frequently remembering them in his prayers. And on top of that, as you'll see when you look at chapter 16 next Sunday, Paul knew lots of people in the church at Rome. You know, if you had heard good things about a place, wouldn't you want to see it? If you'd been praying for people for a long time, wouldn't you want to meet them? If you'd made lots of friends all over the place and they'd all ended up in Rome, wouldn't you want the chance to catch up with them? Of course you would. Obligations, priorities, preferences, we all have them. The challenge is knowing what are the right ones and getting the right balance between them. I mean, think about obligations. I mean, some of them we have little choice over. We have family. We have close friends. 
We have obligations to them. If there's illness uh, affecting a family member or a close friend, it can sometimes be a drop-everything situation. We have obligations. Uh, We can't do very much about them. Indeed, it wouldn't be right to ignore them. But not all obligations are like that. Many obligations are one that we take upon ourselves, and we're not always very clever about it either. As you may know, I've always had an interest in ships and boats and the sea and and rivers and canals. And because of that, I'm a member of a canal trust. Now, about a fortnight ago, no, three three weeks ago now, I got a, a message, an email from somebody in this canal trust asking me if I would like to become a volunteer lengthman. Now, all you really need to know about this is that it involves getting cold, wet and muddy at regular intervals. And I would be less than honest if I didn't say that my only problem was working out how to say no politely, which I did. But what if I'd said yes? I would have committed myself to dragging myself to somewhere north of Polborough every seven to ten days for as long as it took. And if I'd been doing that, there would have been other things perhaps more important things, perhaps more significant things, perhaps more relevant things that I wouldn't have had the time or the leisure to do. And life throws that kind of situation at us all the time. It's all too easy to say without thinking, oh, I'll do that, no problem, and find that we have an obligation that's really a distraction from things that are more important. I mean, what obligations have we taken on without thinking what their real implication and significance and commitment might be. Were they wise? Or think about our priorities. Are they good ones? I mean, for a lot of people, when you boil it down to it, it's a variation on get rich, become noticed, and marry somebody who could make good money as a fashion model. How does that square with the sort of priorities that were important to Paul? You see, Paul's priorities revolved around the needs of other people, not himself. The question was not, what do I want to do with my life, but what does God want me to do with my life? Not what do I think I need, but what do these people at the far end, forgotten end of the Roman Empire need? Or preferences. We all have them. It's because we're human. Right at the end of this morning's passage in verse 32, Paul speaks of coming to the church in Rome and being refreshed. He was looking for a little rest and recreation, and I'm sure he needed it, and I'm sure he deserved it. Like the rest of us, he needed time to unwind, relax, and recharge his batteries. His preference was that to spend to do that with the church in Rome. Now, how we choose to unwind varies from person to person. I like being by the water. My brother likes being in the mountains. I tried it, and yeah, not for me. But he loves it. Whereas, you know, he'll take being by the water, but, you know, he can think of better things to do with his time. We're different. We're brothers. Of course we're different. But where do our preferences become selfishness? You see, for Paul, his preferences took second place to his obligations and to his priorities. His preference was to visit Rome, but it hadn't happened because he had priorities. 
He wanted to get to Rome, but he was heading in exactly the opposite direction because he had obligations. Indeed, his preference to get to Rome was being built around his priority to go to Spain. You know, if we take on unwise obligations, have poor priorities, and pursue selfish preferences, you know, we'll still end up with a plan for our life. But will it be a good one? Paul had a plan, but Paul also had a need. In verse 30, he urges Christians in Rome to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. It's common enough to find Paul including a request in his letters for prayer. But what is unusual and what is striking about this request is its intensity. I didn't read that verse from the beginning. The whole of it goes like this. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. It's much, much, much stronger than any of the other requests for prayer found in any of Paul's letters. This is not one need amongst many, but something that is critically important. You know, when people urge you to do something, do they want to do you to do it whenever you've got the time? No, of course they don't. No, they want it done now because it's urgent, not something to be put off until sometime never. It's important for Paul, but as well as it was important for Paul, it was also an opportunity for Christians in Rome to be personally and actively involved in his ministry. When Paul wrote this letter, he was probably in Corinth. In that first century, that was a long way away from Rome. It was a long journey. And he was heading towards Jerusalem in the opposite direction entirely. And yet Christians in Rome could have a real and meaningful and valuable involvement with Paul and his ministry. They could be part of seeing Paul's plan through. As we will see in a moment, seeing that plan through was not going to be easy. And ordinary Christians in Rome, hundreds of miles away, could join Paul in that struggle by praying for him. Now, later on in this service, we're going to be praying for one of this church's mission partners. Why do we do it? Because no matter how far away that mission partner may be, we can be part of their work. We can help them through bad times, as well as sharing in their joys through our prayers. And closer to home. I mean, aren't there people and situations that we know about, that we're concerned about? And yet, when we think about it, there doesn't really seem to be anything very much of a practical nature that we can actually do to help. An encouraging word here, perhaps, but, you know, we really can't change their situation for them. Well, yes, we can. We can pray for them. We can join them in their struggle by praying to God for them. Why was this so important for Paul? Put simply, Paul didn't take it for granted that his plan would go well just because it was his plan. Indeed, in the next few verses, he spells out uh, why, why he's so concerned and anxious about uh, his future plans. He needed prayer. First of all, he needed prayer for deliverance. 
deliverance from those who would do him harm. Verse 31 tells us, pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea. Jerusalem was a hostile place. The Jewish religious establishment saw Paul as a threat, and Paul was going to their power base in Jerusalem. No doubt many ordinary people in Jerusalem held the same opinion, and if a mob took it into their hands to lynch Paul, as they had in other places, the chances of him being rescued were that much smaller. He was not alone in following this. If you look in Acts 21, you'll find that after writing to the Romans towards the end of his journey to Jerusalem in a place called Caesarea, just up the coast from Jerusalem, a prophet called Agabus foretold that Paul would be imprisoned by the Jewish leaders. There was a very real risk that he would need deliverance from the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. And as well as needing prayer for his deliverance, Paul also wanted prayer that his visit to Jerusalem would be a blessing to God's people. As well as the risk of hostility from the Jewish establishment, Paul also had a concern that he might not be well received by the church in Jerusalem. In the second half of verse 31, he asks for prayer that the contribution he's taking to Jerusalem may be faithfully be received by the Lord's people there. Now, why should Paul worry about that? Well, there was tension between Christians from a Jewish and a non-Jewish background. We were talking about that earlier. Even if Paul was with them, would the church in Jerusalem accept Paul's Gentile Christian companions? Would they accept the the gift gracefully? Or indeed, would prejudice incline them to reject it? And again, Paul's concern was fully justified. Again, if you read in Acts 21, you find out that while Paul was welcomed in Jerusalem, the church's leaders were concerned that there were many Christians from a Jewish background in the Jerusalem church who were not sure about Paul and worried about some of the things they'd been hearing about him. This led them to suggest that Paul join in various religious activities in Jerusalem to placate this group in the church. Now, whether this was good advice or bad advice is a question for another day, but it shows how seriously people in Jerusalem took the problem. Paul prayed for deliverance, to be a blessing to the church, but he also asked for prayer that he would achieve his plans that he would be able to visit the church in Rome and then go on to visit Spain and proclaim the gospel. Paul didn't take it for granted that he would reach Rome. He'd been hindered from visiting Rome before and there were many reasons why this plan might fail as well. And he was right to fear this because, yeah, Paul did get to Jerusalem and he did get to Rome And as far as we know, he did get to Spain, but none of those plans worked out quite the way he hoped, and they proved to be much, much more difficult than I'm sure he desired. And very often our prayers cover the same bases. We often find ourselves praying for deliverance for ourselves or for others, asking for God's blessing on ourselves or others, praying that our plans or the plans of others will go well. 
Indeed, these are the basics, aren't they, of life and of Christian ministry. In our prayers, it's completely right to ask God for things like this. Paul felt it was absolutely right. Jesus encouraged his disciples to encourage, include requests in their prayers. He assured them that God knew that they had needs and was interested and concerned in those needs. But you know, this can sometimes lead to a flawed idea of what prayer is all about. To consciously or unconsciously see prayer as a little like bending God's will to our own will. And there is a tiny phrase that Paul includes in verse 32, one that you could easily miss that needs to be borne into mind. By God's will. It's good to plan. It's better to pray. But it's essential to remember that in everything, God has the last word. Paul says exactly the same thing at the start of his letter when he speaks about praying that now at last I'll be able to come to Rome by God's will. Paul didn't take it for granted that any of his plans would work out the way he wanted. He did not take it for granted that his plans were God's plans. And let's be honest, very often, sometimes, our plans, well, they're our plans. And they're not necessarily God's plans. I mean, James, in chapter 4 and um, verse 3 of his letters, states the situation pretty bluntly. He writes this, When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Paul urges Christians in Rome to pray for him. It's one of Paul's closing requests. He underlines its importance. Why was this? Because Paul was very aware of the challenges and difficulties he faced? Absolutely. But perhaps also because those three words by God's will, help us to adjust the focus of our plans and our perception of what we and other people need. Sometimes perhaps our prayers are really about learning to reconfigure our plans to God's plans. Learning to align our will to God's will. Being willing to accept changes of plans even if they are inconvenient as part of God's plan and purpose for ourselves and part of God's plan and purpose for the people around us that we come into connection with. To reach that point where we say in the Lord's Prayer, your will be done and mean it. Perhaps that's the real reason why it's good to plan. But yes, it's much better to pray. Let's do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we face life, as we face our Christian service, you will help us to think clearly about our place in your world, that you'll help us to make good plans. But Heavenly Father, in all our planning, help us to remember our dependence on you. Help us to remember that it is better to pray and always to pray with that phrase, by your will. Amen.